Welcome to the First Baptist Church Keller Sermon Podcast. Each week we make available sermons from Pastor Keith and our staff on our website, fbckeller.org. And on iTunes, search for First Baptist Church Keller TX in the iTunes Store or in the podcast app on your mobile device. And now, here's our associate pastor to families, Tony Richmond. Let's open our Bibles to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians will be in chapter 2, verses 12 through 17. 2 Corinthians 2, 12 through 17. The title of the sermon today is A Celebration of Hope. A Celebration of Hope. Let's read it together, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, starting in verse 12. When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was opened for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went on to Macedonia. But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of Him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death to the other a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. A celebration of hope. How many of you all have ever been to a foreign country? Anybody? Yeah. So I don't know if you can recall back when I was in college, I got on an airplane for the very first time to go on a short-term missions trip to the country of Romania. And I remember stepping off of the airplane, and I remember some of the sights. The buildings looked different. The airport didn't look like an airport. It looks sort of like a rundown garage. The people looked a little different. The cars looked a little different. I remember some of the sounds, the traffic noises, the clanking of bicycles as people drove down the street, the honking all throughout the night, the movement and murmurings of the, the crowd throughout the city. We remember things that we see and things that we hear, but I contend to you today that we think less about the things that we smell. In fact, smelling is somewhat underrated in my opinion, but it's important. Here's how underrated smelling is. In 2011, a survey was done of 7,000 people Ages range from 16 to 30 years old. And in this survey, 50% of them said that they would give up 
permanently their sense of smell if they wouldn't take away their cell phone. That's how underrated smell is. But smell is important. It can bring us awareness of some danger. If we smell smoke in the middle of the night, we know something's wrong. It can calm us through fragrant aromas. Some of you fill your house with little clouds of smelling molecules because it calms you down. For others of us, we may use something like Vicks VapoRub. When you walk through the door of the garage and a roast is cooking in the oven, the smell is somewhat tantalizing. Uh, for some of us, smells remind us to take a shower. But for the case of middle school boys, they say, oh, I can wait another day. And as some of us have experienced recently, if you have no sense of smell, you also lose your sense of taste. Smell is important. It's one of our God-given senses. In fact, smell is spoken of throughout the Scriptures. For instance, in Genesis chapter 8, verse 21, there was an offering given to the Lord, and it says, the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma of that offering. Now, of course, God it does not consist of a human body with a nose like ours. But it communicates an idea that we can understand. Remember, after Jesus was born, those wise men and others brought gifts to Jesus. Gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Those aromatic spices that were popular during those days. In another account, Lazarus had been dead for four days and it was reported he stinks. So we see throughout Scripture not only things that are seen, things that are heard, but also the smell. And sometimes when we think about our relationship with God, we may ask questions like this. Well, how does God see me? What is God's perspective on my life? Or maybe we ask a question, does God hear my prayers? Is God listening? Those are important questions to answer, but maybe we don't ask this question. How do we smell to God? For Paul in this passage of Scripture, this idea brings about an incredible sense of encouragement in his life. The fact that he understands how God smells him. What the perception that God has of his life. And that's really what he points out here. Paul finds hope in how God sees his life. And to put it into context, Paul here is writing what we have in 2 Corinthians, but it's really the third letter that Paul wrote, written to the Corinthians. The first letter we have in the scriptures is the book of 1 Corinthians, and we know this church had lots of issues. There were divisions in the church. There was incest going on there. 
There were people getting drunk at the Lord's Supper. And so Paul's writing this letter to help them understand, to see these things do not glorify God. And you need to change. And so he sends letter one to them. Evidently, they didn't respond well because Paul writes a second letter, a letter that we don't have, but biblical scholars refer to it as the severe letter. Paul evidently got even more stern with this group of Christians because in their actions and their attitudes and what was happening in the church, they were dishonoring God. So Paul writes again to them and says, cut it out, stop, return back to the Lord and the Lord's ways. And of course, this was before the days of emails and social media. So Paul is waiting on a response. How are, how are they receiving these letters? And evidently, Titus was supposed to meet up with Paul in Troas. Paul gets there according to this passage in verse 12. And he was eager to preach the gospel there, but there's no Titus. So Paul is becoming discouraged. These people are not changing. I don't know how they're doing. They're dishonoring God. So Paul says he needs to leave Troas to move on to Macedonia, where he's hopeful that he'll find Titus there. We don't often think about Paul being discouraged in ministry. The people were not listening. The churches were not heeding his call to do it God's way. And more than that, in the Corinthian church, there were these people that Paul called super apostles, uber apostles. And they were trying to teach that these Christians in Corinth, that Paul's life in ministry was not legitimate, that they shouldn't listen to him because their perspective was this. Just look at this man's life. Look at his suffering. He's poor. Obviously, if he was doing the will of God, he wouldn't be suffering. Obviously, if he was doing the will of God, he wouldn't be struggling in poverty. Therefore, he must not be from God. So Paul is now having to write to defend his ministry and his apostleship and say, you can listen to me. So he begins writing, and in verse 12 and 13, we see how he's having to move from place to place. But then in verse 14, very powerful conjunction, he says, but in the midst of this discouragement in the midst of these people trying to illegitimize Paul's apostleship he says this but thanks be to God thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us Paul was firm in his understanding that God could not left him no matter the circumstances of life, no matter the discouragement that Paul was feeling, Paul understood that for those who are in Christ, God always leads them. So Paul says this, 
Thanks be to God that in Christ, I can be sure that God is leading me. How is he leading me? The scriptures speak of this image of Jesus as the chief shepherd who leads his sheep, who provides for his sheep, who feeds his sheep, who will never leave or forsake his sheep. And Paul is reminding himself of these these truths and writing to the Corinthians to help them understand this as well. But thanks be to God that in Christ, He always leads us, look at this phrase, in triumphal procession. It's at this point that the Corinthians would have known exactly the word picture that Paul is trying to paint for them. The word picture that he's trying to paint for them is one that there is power in weakness. Power in weakness. That there must be suffering in order for victory to happen. How do we know that that's true in the Christian life? Because we look at the cross in order for victory, in order for salvation to occur, Christ had to suffer on the cross. And so Paul uses this word picture of a triumphal procession. Here's what would happen. Foreign, or these kings would go out into foreign lands and through military power, they would conquer these people. Then they would bring them with the king leading them as captives back into the cities and they would march through the city like a victory parade. But those who were following the king were those captives. So Paul is saying, I'm one of these followers. I'm not the person at the beginning. I'm not the triumphant king. I'm not the one with the power. I'm with him. And for those of us who are in Christ, what an incredible encouragement in our lives that we're not the guy, but there is a guy who's triumphant. There is a guy like the student saying that is worthy of all blessing and of all power and glory and honor. And his name is Jesus. And so he leads us, Paul says, in triumphant procession so that victory is secure in him even in the midst of us suffering in this life. Paul, using this word picture, picks up on something that Jesus clearly taught. You remember what Jesus says? Whoever wants to save his life must what? Lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, will find it. That's the paradox. That's the captive triumph tension. In other places that Paul wrote, he would say things like, I am a slave of God. See, for those on the outside of Christianity looking in, to call ourselves slaves is repulsive. Why would anybody want to be a slave? Right? That's constricting. 
That keeps me from my independence and doing what I want. But when you're a slave of the king, you're a happy slave. You're a thankful slave. You're a slave that can serve that master with joy. So Paul says, thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphant, triumphal procession. And then he goes on. And through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of Him everywhere. Here's the picture. The conquering kings in the front of the parade. All the captives are behind Him. And what they're holding are sticks of incense that would permeate the city as they paraded through the crowds. And so Paul uses this imagery and says, God, Jesus has the king, the triumphant one, is using us to permeate the world with the knowledge of him. Now, how could Paul say that? Because he had literally gone all over the world. You can go back and read in the book of Acts, but just in this passage, he's been in Troas, he's been in Macedonia, he's writing to a people in court. He understands God's plan for his life, which is to use him to spread the fragrance of God everywhere. This is exactly what we've been learning from the book of Romans Chapter 10, how beautiful are the feet of those who spread the good news. The king is leading the procession with the captives behind. The incense is the knowledge of the God that's being spread everywhere. That's the hope that we have because we're in Christ. We get to be a part of that. And for Paul, that's a huge encouragement. That's a huge source of encouragement in his life. But then he goes on, he says in verse 15, not only is there hope in Christ, there's hope of Christ. He says, for we are the aroma of Christ to God. We're the aroma of Christ to God. In some way, what Paul is saying here is that we must share in the sufferings of Christ. Ephesians chapter 5, Paul says it like this, and walk in love just as God, or just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice to the Lord. So we see this, that we are called to share in the sufferings of Christ. And in that, God is pleased. Flip back in your Bible to John. John chapter 12. John records this story, this account, after Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. Evidently, he spent some time with Lazarus and with Martha and Mary in John chapter 12, verse 1. John records this. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany 
where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard. That's nard, not lard, by the way. And anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Now, isn't that interesting that John would include that? That when she does this, that the entire house became filled with the smell of this expensive ointment or perfume. This week, as I studied and thought about this passage of Scripture, I kind of went on a little tangent where I began to study a little bit deeper how our sense of smell works. Yeah, it's, an, it's an incredible way that the Lord in His sovereignty has put together the human body. Let me just give you a little snippet. One author says it like this. The sense of smell is hardwired into the human brain. Molecules travel up through the nostrils to an area in the nasal cavity about the size of a postage stamp that contains 10 to 20 million neurons. On the end of each of these neurons are tiny hairs with receptors on them. As odor molecules travel to this region, they attach themselves to a receptor. Get this. In the same way that a key attaches itself to a specific lock. And when that attachment occurs, a signal is sent and a nerve impulse begins. But unlike the other senses, odor signals do not travel to the brain's central switching system. Rather, they go directly to the brain's center of emotion and its memory bank. That's why we can be sure that the next time that they smelled this particular perfume, they were transported back in time to that day in the room where they all smelled it. We can be sure this is why when we smell brute aftershave, we're reminded of our grandfather. Or when you smell biscuits cooking in the oven, you're reminded of a time spent at your grandmother's house. Or when somebody returns to the office from their lunch break, you know that they've been to heartache barbecue. <laughs> because the sense of smell is so powerful. Now the illustration is that. But the application is clear. To God, do we smell like Jesus? Have we been in close communion with Christ? Have we spent time with Him as Martha and Mary and Lazarus did that day? Reclining with Him, loving Him, serving Him in such a way that when we leave that, we reek of Jesus. 
that our life becomes more and more in line with who Jesus is. And we begin to reflect those attitudes, those motivations, and those behaviors that were um, so common in Jesus' life. Paul says we are the aroma of Christ to God. That when God sees us and we're in Christ, He does not see weak, frail, empty people. He sees Christ in us. And it's only because of that standing before Him that we can be justified. It's only because that standing before Him that we can be called children of God and receive this incredible encouragement just as Paul did in 2 Corinthians. But Paul goes on to say in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 15, that we are the aroma of Christ to God among two very distinct groups of people. There are those who are being saved and there are those who are perishing. Really, those are the only two groups of people that exist in the entire world world. Those who are being saved by this incredible truth of the gospel and those who are perishing and they're still in their sin. And so Paul says here that to, to one of those groups, the thought of Christ, the gospel of Christ, the servants of Christ is a fragrance that is repulsive. It's the fragrance of death. And they're repulsed by, they want to push it away. They want to get rid of it. So we can be sure then if we're living faithful Christian lives that no servant is greater than his master. They didn't receive Jesus. What makes us think that they're going to receive us? They're repulsed, Paul says. It's the fragrance of death to death. But for those who are being saved, it's the fragrance of life. For those of us who are in Christ, this is the good news that makes us want to stand up and shout and that gives us goosebumps when incredible theological truths are being sung about and are being preached. This is the fragrance of life that invigorates us to leave this room each week and to go out to our neighbors, to our workplaces, to our families, and serve Christ alone. Because this is the fragrance of life. Paul says these are the two groups of people. These are the smells. And then at the end of verse 16, he asks a pretty incredible question. Who is sufficient for these things? Nobody. Nobody's sufficient in and of themselves. Not the super apostles. Not these people who he goes on to say in verse 17, we are not like them, like so many who are peddling the Word of God. Using the Word of God for personal gain using the Word of God to gain popularity, using the Word of God to gain financially 
Paul says, we're not like that. Instead, look at the end of verse 17. He says, we're men of sincerity. We're men of sincerity. We actually believe these things. I don't know, there may be a visitor here with us today, maybe a newer member. I just want you all to know, if that's you, we believe what this says. What motivates us to leave this room and look different than the world and maybe even be put in a position like Paul was where people seek to illegitimize our life because of the message we preach, because of the simple lives that we live. The reason we can go do that is we believe this. We believe this is true and we're willing to give our lives in service to our King, King Jesus. So I don't know where you are today. Maybe you walked in this room today and you're discouraged. Maybe as you look back in your life and on your life, it didn't go like you thought it would go. Maybe you're in one of those positions right now where you don't understand the happenings of life. I want you to be encouraged. Here's why. Maybe you're a parent here today and you've been trying to seek to teach your kids the truth of who God is and the gospel and it doesn't seem to be going well. It doesn't seek seem to be making any difference. Or maybe you're here today and you're seeking to live a life in your marriage where you want for the gospel to be seen through your actions as a husband or wife, but it doesn't seem to be making much difference. I want to encourage you. If you're parenting in Christ, your parenting is not in vain because you are an aroma of Christ to God. If you're seeking to live your marriage with the truth of the gospel on the front of your mind, your marriage is not in vain. It's an aroma of Christ to God. If you've been witnessing to somebody for days, weeks, months, and they haven't responded to the gospel, your witness is not in vain. You are an aroma of Christ to God. If you've been serving others and you've been pouring your heart out in service to other people, but you're struggling personally, your service is not in vain. You are an aroma of Christ to God. Brothers and sisters, if you've got a prayer that you've been praying for days and months and weeks and maybe years and the Lord hasn't answered your prayer, take heart. Your prayer is not in vain. You are an aroma of Christ to God. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for these truths. Thank you for the hope that can only be found in Christ. Lord, he is our king. He is the one that we submit our lives to and our total allegiance to. He is worthy. And it's because of that that we sincerely, Lord, want to go and be used by you. God, 
as your servants, as your slaves and captives, we say, spread the fragrance of the knowledge of God through us everywhere. Everywhere we go, may that fragrance exist. Lord, for those who are here today and they're discouraged, or I pray they would leave encouraged because of their standing in Christ. And Lord, today I would pray for one who up until this point has been repulsed by the things of Christ. And they've pushed back against it because it's been a fragrance of death to them. Lord, may today be the day that they recognize their sinfulness, submit to the Lordship of Christ and faith and repentance and be saved and be part of this group that Paul describes as those who are being saved. Lord, thank you for this truth today. Encourage us through it. It's in Christ that we pray. Amen. Thank you again for listening to our broadcast. To learn more about First Baptist Church in Keller, Texas, or to hear more sermons by Pastor Keith and our staff, visit us online at fbckeller.org.